You are listening to the Mary Jane Society podcast, brought to you by Studio 420, a cannabis-friendly marketing agency. I'm your host, Pam Schmiel. Today, we get to meet Lisa Burke and Paris Caldwell. They are the Director of Retail and Operations for Ready, a Massachusetts dispensary located outside of Boston and with others in the works. We had a fireside chat about all that goes into operating a dispensary, from the challenges, marketing tactics, brands, tech stack, store design and layout, and their future plans. It was interesting to peek into their day-to-day operations and get an inside look at what it takes to operate a dispensary in Massachusetts. Let's meet Lisa and Paris. But anyway, so nice to meet you, Lisa and Paris, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. Um, to start, is Ready a vertically integrated um, dispensary? So Ready is not vertically integrated. Um, we're a recreational cannabis retail store, and we rely on partnerships throughout the state. So Okay, so you have different um, specific farms that you work with to get your flour and, and your products? Correct, yes. So is vertically integrated in Massachusetts only allowed for the medical market? Yeah, in order to become a medical uh, dispensary here in Massachusetts, you have to be vertically integrated, meaning you have your own cultivation. Mm-hmm. Okay, but but for rec, it's not allowed. No, uh, it's it's uh, you're permitted to have um, your own cultivation um, for recreational, but in order to have uh, medical, um, it's one of their requirements. Okay, so actually. Let's also start with, could you tell me what you do at Ready? Sure. sure. Uh, so um, I'm the director of retail. So I oversee a lot here in the store. Just Everything. From, from retail to relationships to customer interactions, um, working with staff, operations, wholesale, just making sure that it's a fine-tuned machine at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. How about you, Paris? I'm in operations, um, and I like to deal with all of the items on the back end, all the background noise, setting up contracts and vendors, the uh, base blocks of, of getting everything going. Um, I manage the wholesales of the products that are coming into the store and sort of the, the outlines for making sure everything's going to run okay for here and future stores. Okay. I, 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 I often say that um, we're each, Paris is the yin to my yang or, you know, or back and forth. You know, we've, we've worked together um, previously. Um, I do a lot of the customer facing and um, culture building and in your face type of a person. Paris handles, you know, makes sure that every little detail is being handled i guess on the back end so we know that we have this we have that do we make sure sorry we have a we have a walkie going on we're always connected we have the walkie going at all times so so how do you choose brands to work with actually do you does ready have their own product line are you doing white label so so it's a kind of a big question so first of all how to choose a brand to work with um like most things in life, it starts with building relationships, uh, making phone calls, introducing yourself, finding out if you have common likes, interests, um, and goals. Uh, for here at Ready, um, you know, it's very easy to be like everybody else, and we want to be different. So we've never wanted to um, 
sell what every other dispensary is selling. It, and it's easy because every, there's so many dispensaries opening up and everybody is selling the same thing. So to the extent that we can get any exclusivity, we really jump on that, assuming we like the product and like the people that we're working with. Um, so we want people to have a reason to come here that is, is not only driven by great customer service and education, which is important to us, even though we're in a recreational space, but that you're buying something that not just anybody, that you can't get right down the street or two miles apart. So I think that's where it starts. Yeah, and to add on to that, um, the other day I had a vendor here and I think they pitched me the number 200. Um, there are gonna be an additional 200 stores coming to Massachusetts. It's, um, that's both retailers and growers. And uh, a lot of the people who are starting to really get uh, foot through the door first are these large multi-state operators. It's important to carry those brands as well. Uh, they definitely have um, expected staples that people have come to, to know and love. Uh, but to Lisa's point, we wanna be able to offer unique products and strains and um, availability of, of certain items. We were able to do that by pairing with smaller businesses, locally owned and family run businesses as well. And it just goes with, with our mission of what we're doing because we are locally owned and operated here. So, and, and I'm sure your opportunities narrow or it becomes more difficult to become uh, stand out from the rest and not selling what everyone else is because we're so limited to what is available within each state. So it's not like you have the whole country, you know, whoever's selling products everywhere else, you can pick and choose over the whole country. You really have just whoever's producing in your state. Uh, so that must make it more difficult to, to stand out. And I'm sorry, Paris, I just want to confirm. So you were saying there's going to be about 200 uh, dispensary licenses or just new new um, cannabis businesses that are being awarded different? New, new stores that will be opening their door. That was a number that was given to me the other day. Um, you know, part of it's like, wow. And another part is like, yeah, that's completely believable. <laughs> Um, you know, people have been dying to get into this market and now that uh, the process has become a bit uh, easier and, you know, with a grain of salt easier because it's still a very difficult, long process. Um, you know, it's, it's just becoming, uh, has, it's gotten more flow. So now more people are able to apply. People are kind of understanding the different processes to get in. They're being more standardized. And so we're starting to see a result of that as all these different shops coming up. And um, as much as it as one would think that it is difficult to get some of these um, products, uh, we, we actually have people, you know, knocking down the door trying to get everything in here. So it's been interesting. <laughs> mm, wow. Yeah, the, I know. I'm sure the competition is just going to get more and more tough as time goes on everywhere. I know that you're located right outside of Boston um, in a you know, nice town. Who are the customers of, of your dispensary? Anybody that is interested in cannabis, which okay. is a lot of people, <laughs> yes, we are looking for the mother and the father and the aunt and the uncle and the friends of, um, it's, it's really, for me, when I started in the industry a long time ago, probably about six-ish years ago now, um, I was really kind of surprised at the demographic that there were so many people coming into the store that were the like 55 to 80 year old and you know i thought everyone was going to be in their you know legal late you know 20s mm -hmm. and it's really not we do have it does really run the gamut we have a really it, it's 
if you sat here and watched, you'd be really, really surprised. Mm -hmm. So um, anytime I go to a different state, I always visit a dispensary. Um, and I love to uh, look at the people coming into the dispensary. Of course, yeah, it, it's, there, it's such a wide range of people. Um, what kind of products, like methods of consumption are the most popular at Ready? Um, yeah, <laughs> so um, you definitely have flour, uh, otherwise known as weed, um, is definitely the, the top category. Um, you know, it's what people are familiar with. People who are, are new to cannabis already know about it. People who are returning to cannabis um, are looking for it. And it's also, it's also the building block for every other product that you're going to find in store. So next to smokable flour, um, I definitely would say is edibles. Edibles have um, absolutely bursted, uh, especially in the past couple of years in Massachusetts. Um, you know, we started with simple gummies um, and um, chocolates and, you know, the typical things that you would find. And at this point, um, we're now seeing a variety of beverages, seltzers and tonics. Um, you're seeing uh, chewy candies. You're seeing uh, chocolate truffles. Um, just just such a large variety caramel chews um sweet and sour flavored gummies uh you know it's 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 honestly impressive um the the amount of um creativity that manufacturers have had in being able to infuse products um and it seems never ending oh yeah. we were talking about seasoning seasoning oh, yeah now yeah like flavored salt or um it's ramen a ramen packet so every college kid's dream is now infused. <laughs> oh um, my gosh, that's hysterical. Yeah, so it's it's just, it's so, it's interesting. It's crazy. And I would say for the, um, the people who are dipping their toes into cannabis, who, um, you know, a lot of times when it comes to, to, I don't know if you want to call it healing or um, any medical issues, cannabis for a lot of people is the last resort. So a lot of those people that come in, they go for the tincture. So it's very simple to use, um, very easy to titrate. So if you just want a really low microdose, maybe you don't want to bite, chew a gummy. When you can really control it with some drops, that that's there's a big market for tincture as well. I've read, you know, just across the country, the demand seems to be in high THC, low cost. Are you finding <laughs> that to be what everybody comes in and asks for, basically? We definitely do have an audience of people who will come in and say, what is your highest testing flower? Um, and, and we do have a lot of products that will cater to those customers. Um, what we try to also get people to get familiar with is, is beyond the testing because um, there there are so many flowers out there that might not have uh, a high percentage of THC in it, but it has other properties such as uh, great terpene um, and other other components that really create um, a unique uh, psychoactive effect from that product. Um, but it's often overlooked because people just want the the most potent um, that's available. Only a certain amount of uh, product goes and gets tested. So who knows if, you know, that's really a representative of an entire batch of something that comes through the door. Um, so we hope to be able to educate people that, you know, uh, terpenes um, are, are a big deal. And um, there's other things to be to be sought after. And then flour, that makes it uh, just as valuable. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, there's still so much education that needs to be done. Do you find that uh, people are coming into the, the dispensary now knowing 
which brands they they want or are they really relying on the bud tenders to uh, guide them you know is there is, is, is there is it beginning to get brand recognition somewhere someone I'd, I'd say so yeah. um, yes and no I think it depends on on the education level of the person coming in you know some people are, are really savvy cannabis connoisseurs and and uh, you know some people don't know and then there's always that hybrid somebody in the middle so that's why we're really open to helping people guide their experience Right, we I'm have about we we offer consultations. Um, we're one of the few adult use dispensaries that does. Um, and in these consultations, what we offer is simply education and product selection for that person who might not be familiar with the brands and product that we have on our shelf. Um, we didn't we didn't know how popular these would be, um, and it turns out that we have about twenty five to thirty two on average scheduled a month. Wow. Um, and so these are sit down sessions with customers coming through the door who are you know, maybe they're nervous about taking edibles or maybe they're returning to cannabis or maybe they already use cannabis, but they're looking for something different. And we're able to suggest brands and types of products for that person. But yeah, we also do get people walking through the door who say, I'm looking for this product, this brand, do you have it? And uh, I'd say a majority of the time we do. Yep. Mm. Yeah, I guess because I, like I said, every time I go to a different state, I, I go into a different dispensary. So I'm not familiar with the brands in that state. So really rely on them. So, but I guess if you're staying within your state and you're buying regularly, that you're becoming familiar uh, with the brand. Yeah. Because you know, there's talk out there, you know, which brands are going to make it to a national level when we get there, and just trying to get brand recognition with all these different brands. Um, do do you does Ready have or are they planning on um, putting out a, a product line? Um, we will be uh, doing some sort of uh, white labeling. Um, right now, what we're working on is uh, any anybody that we plan on putting our name in association with, we do really thorough vetting. Um, we want to see their cultivation. Um, we want to know what they have to offer. And it also has to be the best product out there um, in order to put our name behind it and say, uh, yeah, uh, this is this is flower that we trust and we, we put our name on it. And maybe that's the way to stand out, like you were talking about differentiating by developing your own product that is like, you know, something different, um, I guess, or what people are asking for. Um, so what ways, uh, what are the best ways for brands to support sales in the store? Do you have any co-op like marketing partnerships or is it the pop-ups when they come in or what do you find? Marketing you is in cannabis has been the... <laughs> The biggest thing of the past couple of years, I've never seen anything like it. Um, so uh, pop-ups are so popular in cannabis right now. Um, they, these didn't exist two years ago, um, but we have brands that now come in and will set up a table and they'll have uninfused samples of their items. Um, and I can tell you honestly, when somebody comes in with something for someone to try, um, and that's a very forbidden feeling um, uh, experience that you can walk into cannabis and try and try something. Of course, it doesn't have any um, anything in it, but just the act in itself um, from where we have come from years ago, um, that almost doubles sales of that product that day um, when people are able to try the product firsthand or if there's someone who's sitting here enthusiastic um, about giving some information, um, we, we like to collaborate with these people to be able to bring in certain products from them. Um, so marketing um, has definitely blown up and having the support of um, specific brands has also helped. They like to put their posters in the store. 
Um, and, and honestly, it's just the pop-ups and the education for our bud tenders has been the biggest part because if our bud tenders are enthused about what they have learned or they've been able to try samples as well, they're, they're going to sell better. And, you know, and just off of that, you know, enthusiasm is so important, you know, and that is something that people get, they're very excited about it. Pop-up comes in, they're engaging with, with the um, cultivar, they're very excited. And then, you know, that, that excitement only lasts so long too. So the idea for us to keep having um, people come in and keep doing uh, pop-ups, being able to engage and try something just keeps that energy level up. Mm -hmm. And that's important. The energy level in this store is terrific. You know, people want to come here because it's fun and upbeat. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it looks beautiful. I love I love the design of your store. It looks really great. nice. Yeah. Thank you. It looks like a great experience. That was a challenge. <laughs> <laughs> what was a challenge? Well, you know, we, we, um, we have the space and um, COVID hit. So, you know, we had originally designed a space that um, there were a lot of areas to sit and we do have quite a few, I would say, Oh yeah. but we had more. And once COVID hit, we we're like, okay, nobody's even going to come in here. So now what do we do? Do we take some of it outside? But then there's too many regulations. It's such a, a compliance driven industry that, okay, so we can't do that. We can't do that. So we are constantly changing interior, changing the flow of the store um, that I would say, you know, not like, you know, us like any other business, just trying to keep the momentum going when uh, the world is changing every day. Right. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, so what mistakes do you see brands making in their packaging or? Yeah. So a lot of it. So uh accessibility so whether that means um being accessible to the consumer um if you don't have a proper website with information about your product that someone can't look up or even just a lack of information to provide our bud tenders at the front of line who are supposed to be selling that product if there is a lack of um information behind that it's obviously not going to get passed on and it makes people a little bit more wary um, so when people are more transparent and have um, really great marketing and education, it definitely helps a brand, but it hurts when it's absent. Um, uh, I think another thing is accessibility of the actual packaging. So um, there's some items that they must be child-proof, um, but uh, you'll find time to time that there are things that seem to be adult-proof as well. Um, and to have to start biting, chewing, cutting open packaging um, can really turn somebody off from a product. Um, you know, most things have definitely improved over time, but uh, time to time you do get that occasional packaging that's a, that's a bit difficult. Mm. I think sometimes some companies are really good at one or two things and they're not good at some of the other things. And I would, I just feel like they should, if you're really good at, at growing, stick with the flower. If you're not good at the edible piece, don't, don't do it because then from our end, well, why don't you want to buy our chocolates and why aren't you buying our gummies? And, you know, sometimes you're in that really uncomfortable position where you're getting pushed to carry a complete line of something when really, you know what? No, we really just want to carry this because it's really that good. And perhaps you should just stick with that. Yeah. The buyer uh, seller dynamic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of crazy. Um, yeah. So aside from the pop-ups, 
are there other marketing tactics that you use that you find really effective? Um, like, I don't know, Google My Business or uh, email marketing or, yeah. or like direct mail marketing? Yeah, Google's, Google's our best friend. Um, as always, we definitely see um, a lot of uh, views coming from there. Um, other than that, um, we try to get on social media as much as possible, as much as our bandwidth permits. Um, we do have a, um, a ready club, which allows people to subscribe for updates. Um, what's really unique about this ready club is that um, we're the ones who get to control it. So it's not um, automated messages that can end up feeling like spam. And um, the service that we use actually allows us to tailor messages for the individual users. So if you come in here and you're only purchasing flour, the only notifications you're gonna hear about is flour. Um, you're gonna get updates about when new flour comes in, when there's special prices on that flour, et cetera. And then the same thing for if you're an edible audience. Now, if you're buying across the board for different products, you'll receive messages um, with the best deals for those products um, that you tend to come in and buy. Um, those who aren't coming in frequently, they won't receive as many messages, um, as an example. We, we want to make it really friendly. Um, we know what it's like to be on the receiving end <laughs> of marketing, um, and it's not fun. I mean, it's you unsubscribe so many times. Um, we don't want to be like that. We want to be a, a, a service to people. We want to actually provide something worth their time and also make it fun. But it's hard because it's so hard to reach somebody. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, we just only have so many vehicles that we can use. So, you know, and, and some people don't want their information captured at all. How do the product drops work? Say, do you do product drops on social media or emails, like you're saying? And does it, do you find that that really drives traffic? I would think it would. What's really great about our marketing tool is that it actually tracks conversions for us. So we can see when they're effective and, and when they're not. Um, we've noticed as simple as adding an image of the product that we're talking about or promoting has increased conversions, um, for an example. Um, adding our email and our phone number um, to say, do you have questions about this product that you've been looking at that's sitting in your cart because you've gotten a message from that um, has definitely improved those conversions as well. Um, so how about your tech infrastructure? There's so many different companies out there. What would you say it is like super important to your menu, <laughs> everything? Yeah, so technology in the cannabis industry, I'd say would be the most consistent challenge um, for the reason that uh, it's, it's largely out of our hands. And um, to our surprise, uh, it's one of the most undeveloped aspects in the industry. So we are, uh, you know, adult use has been running since 2018 at this point, um, and there are still very few point of sale options to select from um, that are, are consistent enough to contend as the best one that's there. Each of them have their flaws. Um, some are missing some parts that the others have. I mean, the industry makes a lot of money. Uh, it's booming. There's so much work being done. Um, so, so much creativity is happening, but there's so much work to be done on the technology side. Um, we still experience, for example, um, outages from a, from a really well-known point of sale service. And we're like, Hey, it's, you know, you've been in Massachusetts for years and years now. You think they'd be able to minimize this. Um, but it's since I started working in the industry, I've always experienced this, this type of glitch. Um, so it's just surprising that it's not more developed. Mm. It's not unheard of, uh, not unheard of for a company that we're 
character is referring to at four o'clock or five o'clock on a Friday to do a software update and we're jammed in here and the system shuts down. So when the system, the POS system shuts down and it's tied into the way that you receive a debit transaction, that shuts down. So now you are forced to do cash only. So we do have an ATM here in the store, which helps, but you know what, as a, you have to think about the consumer. You want ease. Mm-hmm. You want them to be able to pay for their product, sit and talk, or leave. And um, we really, it, it's, it, it can last anywhere from 10 minutes to an hour. And uh, <sighs> having yeah. waiting people in store, it's it's difficult to be like, yep, everything's broken down. And, you know, you'll have the person who's like, I'm just going to go to the next dispensary. And it's like, it's actually down statewide. <laughs> yeah. So it's oh, it really, right. yeah, it, it puts us in a jam. It puts our customers in a jam. Um, you know, we've created a process that's as easy as grabbing food from the supermarket, you check out and you leave. So when that's unable to happen, <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's very frustrating to say the least. Um, but you can always challenge, uh, somebody in here to a game of connect four or, um, bag, what's it, the bag toss. I always forget. What we have cornhole. cornhole. Oh, yes, cornhole. oh, so you, so, you, you pull some tricks have, out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these, these are existing features on our floor. And then like we were talking about earlier, we have a lot of seating areas, comfortable areas. We have great music that's playing. We we really, we, when this situation has occurred, we have not had a lot of, um, uh, you know, kickback. Um, thankfully we've been able to get through each of these situations, um, with, you know, people who are, you know, fine with what's going on. Um, but in our past experience, um, working at like larger and busier shops, you know, we've seen it all. (laughs) Yeah. So I, yeah, I did want to ask you, you said that you have a lot of seating, but I mean, are you doing the consumption lounges yet? Or is it for people to partake in there or would we can dream? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. When's that going to happen? No, no, not yet. We would love that. Um, love to put our roof deck on the top of our building. I mean, we, we, uh, have a lot of ideas, but uh, unfortunately, that is not a thing. So, no, just sit, have your coffee, be on the phone. Um, mm. it's, it's that type of an atmosphere. Because the typical experience is that you walk in and you're being ushered into these, like, very, um, I, it reminds me of, like, sheep herding. Um, you, get, you get pushed through these lines and you're, like, forced up to a counter and then you're forced to leave and it's like, what just happened? Um. I know. I agree with you. I, yeah, I, I, it, it feels like um, very shady almost. Yeah, you know, it's something kinda, wrong. Exactly. Yeah, like you're doing something and then, wrong. Yeah. You, know, you I, add that in with um, the popular minimalist Apple store like type of uh, look that people are going for, which is really great. But you know, you add you add into cannabis, which is supposed to be fun and it's it's legal, and you get pushed through these lines and you're out and you're like, what just happened to me? You know. <laughs> When you walk into right, the running, right. um, often people, like, if I stand by the door, if people walk in first time here, you hear, wow, <laughs> you know, and people will stand for a moment because there's space to take in, um, there's places to browse, there's um, items that are available to touch for people, um, there's books around, so it's, it's a bit of a different experience here. What is the um, future for consumption lounges in Massachusetts? Uh, site of the dispensary is that in the works uh i think it's always a back thought for the cannabis control commission in massachusetts um i think there's a lot of work that needs to be done before those are 
able to be licensed and, and uh, put through. Um, but there are a couple places that are able to skirt these lines um, by hosting private events and private parties. A uh, place in Worcester, so um, out west from Boston. Um, and this, this lounge actually manages to host events and permit consumption um, indoors. So, you know, very gray around how they're able to do that. Um, but they are one of the only, and, and, you know, they're a destination spot because of it. Right. Maybe private events on your rooftop. That sounds so fun. Um, <laughs> so uh, delivery services, do you, are you partners with a delivery service? I think in Massachusetts, isn't it for the next two years, you have to work with a social equity partner for delivery? You, yep, you got it. Um, so we are paired with um, a service called ZipRun. Um, right now, uh, they are working on getting their um, license. Um, so it's a, largely a waiting game with the um, CCC right now. But they uh, were able to achieve, um, you know, getting down their first steps, um, and they will be able to provide delivery for ready. Oh, oh, so it's not up and running really yet? Oh, not yet. Um, they are waiting on a license. Is there a big demand? Are you hearing a big demand uh, from your customers for delivery? So it's just pickup at the store, either pickup or... Yeah, so we have walk-in service or online pickup. So as if you ordered uh, online ahead of time and then there's express pickup. Um, not a lot of people um, demanding for delivery, but I think once it's available, um, people will start to consider it as, as an option. And what, do you have a certain um, area that you're, you're only allowed to deliver in or can you expand to the other towns? There is a... It's up to our service who will determine their mile radius. Is it 10? 10 or 15. Yeah. 10 or 15 miles, which honestly, in our area, it's such a broad reach. Um, But they are are the ones who are determining um, the the reach for delivery from us um, because they are the ones with the transportation vehicles. Um, and the staff members that they need to kind of figure together. Well, and that's the other thing, staff members. There has to be two people in a vehicle, you know, know, just, right? And then just like any other industry, you can get a staff, but then the staff member gets sick. So you may make a promise that you can do this, but, you know, if somebody doesn't show up, then, you know, that that piece stops, yeah. So many rules. So, so many, many rules. rules. Come yeah. on. <laughs> and then, but at least in Massachusetts, I believe the uh, delivery service is allowed to also have a uh, sell wholesale or buy wholesale and sell out of a warehouse, right? Which in Colorado, they're not allowed to do, which is so bad for the delivery guys. I mean, how, how do you make money on, you know, just delivering someone else's product, it just doesn't seem right. But I'm so glad to hear that Massachusetts has that for the delivery drivers or services. Um, okay, so great. I think uh, just wrapping it up, um, I just have two more questions, but you might have answered this one. What are the biggest challenges? Like if you, someone came to you and said, I want to open it, I'm opening a dispensary. What would you say the biggest challenge that you face that you're always like, oh, so frustrated and also a two-part I can let you answer answer this but when you the biggest if someone walked in and said they want to I would say how much money do you have oh <laughs> yes money 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 um you know I've heard you know horror stories of people who have been waiting to get open for years and in those years they're paying for zoning fees permit fees they're paying rent on buildings 
um, they can spend, I don't know, like probably millions, thousands, thousands and thousands of dollars to just to potentially get a license. And what happens when that person might not get one? Um, so that, that's a huge challenge. Um, money, money is a huge part of it. Um, licensing is another part of it, making sure you have all the checks um, and requirements uh, for the CCC. Um, and then, you know, if you are already in and, you know, purchased in the buildings there, it's synchronizing all the moving parts. Um, it's a saying in the industry that uh, one month in cannabis is equal to a year in any other industry. Um, all these pieces have to align. It's compliance, it's product, it's training. Um, it's a juggling act. Um, but I know that I don't just speak for myself when I say that uh, we wouldn't have it any other way. Uh, every day is different. It's interesting. We're never bored. Um, always on our toes. Gets a little exhausting here and there, um, but definitely love the industry for that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. So the town has to welcome you. Then you've got your first ah. community agreement. You know, then does does the community even want you? And um, because there's there's always those who don't. Yeah, definitely. And that that that's a whole other conversation about decriminalization of cannabis. Right, right. So it's you know so many things. It's certainly multi layered. Right, yeah, right. yeah. We have t we have towns around us um, that uh, won't won't have dispensaries. Um, they have voted against them. Uh, for us, it's a bit of a benefit because they come to us. Right, <laughs> um, it's like being on the border of states yeah. that don't have license. But right. we challenge that with you know why not give people safe uh, uh, access? So. And how about that tax revenue? <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh gosh. Okay. Last question. Um, so, what are the what are the future plans for Ready? Well, we are getting ready to open our second store in Natick. Um, we have been granted provisional licensing. We have a meeting this afternoon talking about the build out, um, creating stuff. I mean, here we go all over again. So, <laughs> Much easier, I'm sure. We're really. <laughs> Well, this time around. Yes, you know, you learn from your mistakes, right? And um, and then the, the next will be a third location in Fenway um, area by, you know, Boston Red Sox area, uh, by Berkeley School of Music. And um, they're all going to be on the Route 9 um, uh, route of, of Boston, of, Ma of, of Massachusetts. Massachusetts. Yeah, if you look at a map of Massachusetts, we'll... Three, uh, right in a straight line, all three stores as you head into Boston. That's fantastic. Wow, that's really cool. That's great. Congratulations. Just, okay, I did have one more question because you were mentioning the different locations. Do you use billboards? Are they? Uh, uh, <laughs> so, isn't that another call today? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, have, I have to make a billboard call today. I do. Um, so, uh, advertising is so limited in Massachusetts for cannabis companies. Um, but one of the ways that we've been able to, uh, so there's um, requirements. And one of those requirements um, is that I believe it's like 82 or don't quote me on the percentage, but it's like 80 something percent of people must be 21 plus that are viewing the sign. Right. Um, that's the same for advertisements. If we're going into say a newspaper or a pamphlet for a charity or any of that type of thing. Um, so the same applies for billboards and billboards um, have been, uh, companies have this, started to make a list of billboards that are fit these requirements. Um, so it creates a whole list of options for a lot of people and billboards aren't always too, you know, um, they're, they're some of them can be relatively affordable. 
Um, so we were able to get a billboard up and we just reviewed this past week that um, our visitation from the zip codes around that billboard has increased um, relatively dramatically. Um, so we, we do use billboards. Um, we probably will continue to do so. It is the main advertising that you'll see throughout Massachusetts though. Yeah, especially if you're on that main highway, I would think you really want to make use of that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I actually, I forgot where I was, but a billboard caught my attention. I was like, I was like, exit now. <laughs> so, yeah, but thank you so much. I, I know you guys have a big day, I can tell. <laughs> In a busy couple of years. Wonderful. Yeah, thank you so thank much. You. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. Season one of Dope History is now available at dopehistory.com. Dope History weaves you through the lives of those who have been touched by cannabis or have had an influence on the events that shaped our laws or relationships with this plant. You'll hear tales from Frenchie Cannoli, Keith Strop, Eddie Lepp, Tom Alexander, Ed Rosenthal, Wolf Seagull, Jorge Cervantes, and Tommy Chong. Available now at dopehistory.com.